three times I was becalmed in the Southern Ocean and uh, obviously going through the dolphins in the Atlantic I was becalmed as well. Uh, and on a couple of occasions for about three days. And it's, uh, that, that was the most tr trying part of the journey, I think. You know, when it's stormy, you can do something about it. Uh, but the constant flogging of the sails, the boat rocks, uh, it's, it's like a Chinese wars torture, it just doesn't stop. Steep with white spume down them, and uh, I was surfing down them 12 and a half knots. And I was wedged, I wedged myself into my navigation seat by the chart table. And the next minute, you know, there's no warning. One minute you're the right way up, and the next minute you're upside down. And so I landed on my head on the coach roof, and um, broken glass, uh, food, tools everywhere, charts, passports end up in the fridge. You know, it's hard to describe the bedlam. shine it around the inside of the cabin and the walls just dripping with condensation. It doesn't sound like fun uh, and um, in fact somebody said to me before I went, you know, uh, make sure you have fun every day. And I said, no, it's not really about fun, you know, it's about the sense of achievement once you've done it. Welcome along to the first episode of Broadreach Radio for 2022. We kick things off for the year by talking to Andy Ventura, who sailed solo from New Zealand to the UK via the Southern Ocean so he could get to his mother's 80th birthday party in the middle of a global pandemic. As you might imagine, it was a remarkable and sometimes dramatic journey. He experienced everything from being becalmed in the Southern Ocean to raging storms, capsizes to concussion, and also endured some worrying equipment failure that could have led to an altogether different outcome. Andy talks about how he prepared for the journey, what life was like on board his 35-foot yacht, and how he dealt with the ongoing obstacles and setbacks. He isn't typically the type to broadcast his achievements, so it was a pleasure to get him on the show. I hope you enjoy. Well, joining us on the show today is Andrew Ventura. Welcome. Thank you very much. Love to meet you. Well, it's good to get you in. Um, Andrew Ventura might not be a name familiar to most, but you've got a really remarkable story, which we'll spend most of our time on today in the podcast. It's also a story that saw you award the Cruising Award at last year's Volvo Yachting Excellence Awards. Um, but really, the word cruising feels like something of a misnomer because what you... Uh, accomplished was hardly a cruise. So, so what sort of reaction do you get when you tell people you sailed halfway across the round, uh, around the world, including across the Southern Ocean, so you could get to your mum's 80th birthday party during the middle of a global pandemic? Well, uh, I, I get mixed reactions. Uh, a few people think I'm a bloody idiot. Um, some people um, uh, who sail, um, uh, I think, uh, appreciate what's involved. Um, I, I don't tend to uh, broadcast it, but uh, a number of people obviously know about, about what I've done. And so if they're interested, I'll, um, I'll be uh, very happy to talk to them about it. 
where did the idea come from? Uh, it's, it's something that's always, I've always wanted to do, I think, from uh, being a young guy, particularly going around Cape Horn, which is a, um, a bit of a milestone for, for many sailors. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, uh, obviously, I've been running a family or raising a family for the last umpteen years, and that's out of the way now. Um, and I found myself at a point in my life where I could give it a go, and so decided to. Why solo, though? Uh, well, uh, probably for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that, uh, in all honesty, I, I really didn't want the responsibility of taking somebody else with me on a journey like that, and you know, on the off chance that it's uh, something bad happened. Um, and secondly, the boat I, I was sailing is only a 35-foot yacht, and um, she, she's limited in terms of water and food capacity that she can carry. And I wanted enough provisions on board to get me all the way to the UK in case I couldn't get into anywhere all the way around. So that, that in itself was, a, was an issue, and, um, and hence the need to go solo. I'm guessing you're a person who's quite comfortable in your own uh, own company. Uh, thank, thankfully, I am. Yes, yes, I am. And I, I, I'm not I'm not alone. I enjoy company, uh, good company too. But I, I don't have any problem being on my own. Do you think it would have been an entirely different experience if you had uh, crew on board? Uh, it, it would certainly would have been. Um, uh, um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know this. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, my, my previous offshore sailing has been done with crew when I was younger, um, uh, and um, that that was. Uh, uh, if, you, if you were good people, you, know, well, you, you find out on a small boat very quickly whether you get on with people or not, and uh, naturally you don't get on with everyone. Uh, on my own, that wasn't a risk, obviously. Um, with, with other people on board, uh, uh, there are times, of course, when four hands or six hands are much better than two. Um, but, uh, but on a small boat, generally, you can do most things yourself. Um, so uh, I, I didn't particularly miss having crew. Um, it, it would have been a different experience with them, yeah, for, the, for sure. Just take us back a little bit and, and fill us in and give us a really sort of high-level CV of your, of your sailing experience, you know? What sort of sailing have you done? Uh, well, I, I, was, I was taught as a, uh, as a boy in Oman, in the Middle East, um, on lasers um, and mirror dinghies. Um, uh, then uh, went on, did a bit of social sailing when I was younger. Um, did a couple of transatlantic deliveries um, for the um, charter for the charter trade on Benetos from France over to the Caribbean. And then I had a job for a little while when I was in my twenties, early twenties, teaching a guy how to sail out of the south coast of England, and took his boat around uh, over to France and down to the Mediterranean. Um, uh, came back from there and settled down for a while, and um, then got into a, a, an office career. So. Uh, sailing sort of took a little bit of a back seat for a while, um, and then in 2014, um, I bought my current. 2015, I bought my current boat. Um, well, it's not my boat anymore; it's sold. But um, the boat uh, I sailed over to the UK. And, so it's the blue water stuff that appeals the most, I'm guessing. Uh, well, I've, uh, I've done a little bit of racing, um, uh, which I, I enjoy. I really enjoy coastal cruising, um, but uh, the challenge of blue water sailing is, is something that's always appealed to me. So you left in December 2020, uh, but it wasn't the first time you attempted this journey. So tell me about that first attempt in 2017. Uh, well, that was um, uh, that was a very interesting trip. Uh, um, uh, I set off um, uh, just after Christmas. Um, uh, um, the intention had been to go to um, Chathams, uh, then leave the Chathams and head over towards uh, Tahiti. Uh, see how the boat went, and then either to go south or north, um, uh, depending on um, how I felt about things. 
Um, uh, well, so, uh, anyway, Julie got to the Chathams, and, um, it, which is a, a fantastic place to visit if, if, you, if you get the opportunity. I don't know if you've been there or not. Um, but uh, uh, I spent about seven days there, and, and uh, um, a big storm came through. It's very exposed at the Chathams, very few sailing girls go there. Um, and uh, a big uh, storm came through, and a, a really uh, kind uh, guy who's was the general manager for Fulton Hogan on the Chathams. Uh, he put me in touch with the local fisherman. Uh, I had to go and borrow his uh, anchor. I had three anchors down, and the boat was still slipping, and very close to the rocks. So we got a third, uh, a fourth anchor down. Um, and when it came um, time to depart, uh, I had a dreadful uh, job getting the, the boat had been twisting, and the anchors had twisted around themselves. Um, and uh, um, I left the engine running because I was concerned about um, lifting up the last anchor and drifting into the rocks. So the engine was running for maybe six hours while I was trying to deal with the anchor problem. Um, finally got this, the anchor sorted out and uh, returned the fisherman's anchor to him. And the, um, uh, um, came time to leave, to uh, turn the engine on again, and it went up in a ball of smoke, uh, quite literally as I was leaving uh, the harbour. And uh, um, it had been blowing a, an absolute gale. I, I came out of Waitangi, uh, where they were building the wharf, and into these rolling breakers that were coming onto on, onto the uh, Petri Beach, and um, the, the, the engine was still smoking. Like there was no tomorrow. Uh, big breakers were coming over the boats. One was stoved in my spray hood. It's it quite intense. Um, and uh, so then I, I was faced with a choice of either returning to Auckland or, or carrying on, and really it was a no-brainer, it was just an immediate decision. So, because uh, um, my engine seized, you know, a bit of oil through the bilge, had something, I think it pushed a comrade through the side of the block. And um, so you sailed back to Auckland um, and uh, put a new engine in. But being in the Shannon itself was a fantastic experience, really great people there. Um, I was, uh, I was very fortunate the uh, um, the local policeman who was signing my papers out, my maritime papers, um, to leave the country, leave New Zealand, uh, was there. And he gave me a fantastic tour through the four points, you know, sort of the four corners of the main island. Um, I met a lot of interesting people. So it's a great place to visit. You say it was an easy decision to point the nose to Auckland, but after all that planning and preparation, was it difficult? To go back and you know not follow what you had you uh, originally planned to do. Uh, well, uh, of course it was disappointing, but I, uh, it was it was I, I felt that it was uh, I spent a lot of money reconditioning the engine before I left um, and really stripped it down to its bare bones. But except that the, 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 uh, but it wasn't down to its full bare bones. It, it, and obviously the, uh, uh, when it failed. I, I felt that that wasn't really a problem by making. So when I got back to Auckland, I thought, well, I gave it a good nudge. You know, it's something I tried to do, and I, but I, and I failed through no real fault of my own, but it just uh, circumstances. So sort of viewed it a little bit philosophically, I think, and um, yeah, tried not to, to, to let it get to me. So um, it sounds like that journey back to Auckland that wasn't particularly pleasurable. No, it wasn't at all. Though no, I had very strong uh, winds. Um, Coming out of the northwest, uh, which is obviously exactly where I wanted to travel, and uh, had a very hard sail back. You know, uh, I was off the Round Fairly Banks and it was blowing 55 knots in a small boat. Uh, you know, and, and uh, as you may know that the seas build up over the over um, uh, the banks, and uh, went around in circles for a little while, uh, and came back to a bit of a, a, a bit of a chip from my mates at work and, and, and friends who were sort of going around in circles, but. Um, Anyway, eventually got back to Gulf Harbour, um, put a new engine in, uh, 
the sales blew out as well. Uh, my, my, at least my Genoa did. So I had a, a all I had to was a, a swarm jib um, uh, to see that. So yeah, so I came back for new engine, new sales, and um, uh, and and sort of, uh, sort of thinking about what the, the future held. So at that stage, do you think you were more determined to give it another go, or you thought, well, that's my one and it didn't work. I'll, I'll put that one aside. Uh, I had no, I had no intentions to try again. Um, uh, I, I, uh, at the time, I thought that that's probably uh, yeah, uh, uh, a nice dream, but uh, I've had my chance, and uh, and that's it. So no, I know I didn't really intend to go again, but I, but once you got an idea in your head, uh, it, it, it's always there and niggles away. And so a few years later, two years later, three years later, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was time to give it another go. So was it the occasion of your mother's birthday, just that spark that needed to to get you going again? Uh, it, it, it probably was, and uh, it was. Um, uh, I think it was also the passage of time. You know, when when you um uh, you get itch, itchy feet after a little while, you know, you you um you go away, you come back, you work steadily, you know, whatever your job happens to be. Um, uh, I'm office based, uh, uh, but it's, it, it it still sticks in the back of your head that it's something you want to do. So uh, after a couple of years, it's just a, 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 my mother's birthday uh, being around the corner um, was, uh, it, it probably was the, uh, a, 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 the deciding factor of when to do it. I, I may have done it again anyway, but that, that was probably a deciding factor. Mm. So you briefly mentioned your boat, uh, I think she was named Dessalina. That's right. Um, 35 foot in length. What was she like below? You, you talked about it being cramped, but what, what was she really like down below? Uh, so it's a Vauquiers Praetorium 35, and it's um, it's called Dessalina. An American guy renamed her after his American grandma, his Italian grandmother, and um, uh, so that's where the name came from. And um, so so down below, she's a, a, um, a really a typical 35 footer with a full cabin head, uh, a main saloon, and a stern cabin. Um, but a, a, a very she's quite beamy, so a lot of space down below, uh, more than you'd expect for a boat that length. And uh, very important for me, standing headroom. I'm six feet tall, so you know you can not crouched around, uh, um, uh, on your hands and knees all over the place. So, uh, a good boat, uh, a good sea boat. Um, uh, Hal was an American sailor called Hal Roth, and he had a, um, a Praetorian called Whisper, and he was very famous back in the 70s. You may know his story. He sailed um, his boat around Cape Horn, although with a different route. He actually went down Patagonia and then. Um, uh, and then sailed up uh, towards Maine. On, um, uh, so, but nevertheless, so it's so it's, it's, it's really good, got a good pedigree and um, uh, and a good, yeah, a, a very good seabird. Yeah. Was she difficult to sail solo, or did you modify it to be able to sail solo comfortably? Uh, she uh, she wasn't difficult. Um, she's uh, she had um, or has a, a Cape Horn self steering system, a wind vane system on the back of the boat. Um, uh, it's um, uh, which is uh, really an absolutely fantastic bit of kit. Uh, actually, when I go back to England, uh, I wrote to the guy who invented it, um, a guy called Yves Charlo. He's, he's um, uh, a French-Canadian guy, and he sailed his boat, he had a boat called Jean de Sud, and he sailed, um, uh, circumnavigated. Um, when he was south of the Chatham Islands, uh, he was uh, rolled and dismasted, and so he made his way to the Chathams, and when I was there in the hotel there at the Chathams, a picture stood on the wall of his boat being pulled up the beach behind a tractor. And uh, so, and he was the guy who designed uh, the Cape Horn self-steering system, which was on my boat. 
So when I got to the UK, I wrote to him and, and said, you know, congratulations on the brilliance of your invention. And uh, he, he wrote back a very nice, a nice email back. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a nice connection. So you've got this idea, you're, you're set on going. Did you sort of seek out any people for advice or guidance on, you know, just exactly how you should tackle this project? Uh, I didn't seek anybody else, but um, uh, I did meet some, uh, through the Cat One process, uh, Graham Brown, uh, who's a Cat One inspector at the Gulf Harbour, and uh, you couldn't meet a nicer bloke. He was a, a, um, he, the first time I went, um, it was him who suggested that I put a, an AIS system on the boat, and uh, that, that proved to be invaluable advice, um, uh, particularly if you're single-handed or sure-handed. Um, uh, I think that's... Um, uh, my, uh, I'm not really in favour of regulations per se, but since the Cat 1 regulations exist, I think for a single hander that should be a compulsory bit of cat because it's, it saved me on a, a few occasions. Um, and then he also he also gave me a very good bit of advice the last time. He, he said, because uh, my instrument panel for the engine was in the cockpit, he said, you really should think about putting a waterproof hatch over it because there'll be times when your cockpit fills with water. And, uh, and he said it happened to him where he'd lost his instruments as a result, and, uh, so I, which I duly did. Uh, and on one uh, storm down in the Southern Ocean, uh, I was looking at my, uh, looking out of the, uh, the um, I was down below, but looking through the um, companionway Perspex hatch, and a big wave came and absolutely drenched, it filled the cockpit, and I think, oh, thanks, hey, that's good advice. Yeah, so, yes, I guess, so, so I had some good advice from Grant, certainly. What about from your family, you know, what did they think, you know, of you tackling this by yourself? Uh, well, I think um, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're very supportive, actually, I think, by and large. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my father's a sailor in his time, and um, uh, naturally all parents worry about their, their... I worry about my children, I think all parents worry about their children. So my parents, I feel a bit uh, rotten, um, causing a bit of stress to my parents, I suppose, if, I, if I'm honest, but um, uh, well, what, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah, parents worry. Yeah. So you get to depart today in December 2020. You know, what was that day like? Was it emotional? Were you anxious about anything? Were you excited? Uh, it's it a bit of a mad panic actually because the, the customs people are coming down to the boat at eight o'clock in the morning or thereabouts. And, uh, and unfortunately, I've been out the previous day and I've been given a lift by a friend of mine. And I left my car keys and boat keys in the back of his car. And, he was, that morning, he, I, I realised uh, when I got up there, he had my keys, I gave him a call, he was halfway down to Cambridge, and he was very kind, he turned around and he brought my keys back, and so I was able to, uh, to go and meet the, um, uh, the customs guys, and um, uh, my girlfriend and, uh, um, came out on a boat and, uh, with a bunch of her friends and my daughter, and uh, waved me off, so that was great. Um, uh, naturally, I was slightly apprehensive, if, if I'm honest, before I, you know, I think you're only human to be a... Apprehensive for he said I won't any trip like that, um, so uh, yeah, a little bit nervous. But uh, but as soon as it's like all things, we we have to do starts and the nerves disappear. But the you know, pre-match nerves are definitely were definitely there. So what sort of routine do you get into each day? You know, how long did you sleep for? Would you do a daily boat check? What's you know what sort of uh, routine was was fairly common for you? Um, so uh, I'd. Uh, Routine really, much of it revolved around meal times um, uh, and in between times. So obviously, uh, through the night, yeah, you're up constantly. You know, um, uh, if, the, if the boat changes, uh, it changes its motion. Then you sense that either the wind is building or or reducing, or uh, the wind. Even sometimes the wind changes direction. So 
you're, you're always up, uh, you're always up in the night, uh, uh, and then through the day you sort of cat nap. So you know, you, uh, you, uh, you might, I might have had breakfast and then read a book and obviously look after the sailing side of things and the navigation side of things. Write out the log, um, think about lunch, and take another cat nap, and, and, and um, so you're always busy. You know, there, you know, there are domestic things to do. You know, you've got to cook, you've got to clean, you've got to navigate. You know, it's, it's, uh, people think you have nothing to do, but it's far from, that's far from the truth. You know, you're always busy and uh, never once bored. So, so what is a typical length or the most um, in a length of period that you slept for one? Um, probably two to three hours, I would think. Um, yeah, uh, uh, in, the, in the Southern Ocean, of course, there is so little shipping um, and, and the AI sounds an alarm whenever a ship comes within 25, 30 miles. Uh, so... Um, uh, that was far, a lot more peaceful than sailing through the Atlantic, but um, yeah, it's in the Southern Ocean. Is um, uh, you, you feel a lot more relaxed. I, I only saw one ship between Auckland and Cape Horn, uh, and so that's a, um, that was two months and seeing one ship. You know, there's just nothing down there. Um, um, and when my electrics failed, um, I, I actually um, I had to turn off all the power on the boat because I was trying to conserve. And my batteries um, for work for when I really need them, and uh, so I'd, I'd send a, a text um, on um, on my uh, Garmin InReach Explorer, which allows you to send and receive text. So I would send a text to my partner and say to her, you know, are there any ships within uh, on on MarineTraffic.com within 300 or 400 miles of me? And if she said no, I would just turn everything off and then sleep really easily. So and that was that was usually the case. But when I got close to the Cape. Then the, the the shipping was uh, there were ships around, although I didn't see any. Is it relaxing being isolated? Uh, you know, do you feel that sense of isolation and being by yourself? Uh, not personally, I didn't know. Um, I, uh, I, even though my, my sat phone when, when I was in the Southern Ocean uh, died, um, and wasn't I could replace it in the Falklands, or uh, that's a um, different story. But I, but I always had this little device, and uh, and you could so I could always send and, and receive messages. And I, I know that it sounds fairly primitive, but you so you but you're always in contact with somebody back in uh, either either in New Zealand or uh, in the UK. Um, so I was never isolated. Uh, I was always in communication when I wanted to be. Uh, uh, but no, I, I never felt lonely. I, I, I can honestly say. So what goes through your mind as you dive further and further south into that sort of famed Southern Ocean and it's getting wilder and, and the, the numbers are getting up in terms of, you know, the, the, the latitude? Yeah, well, uh, I, was, um, I, I was following my, well, I was plotting my uh, route on, um, on an Admiralty routing chart um, uh, and there's an iceberg limit which is shown on there and um, so uh, my aim was to uh, was to stay north of the iceberg limit that was shown on the chart, um, and uh, uh, but it, e even though I was north of that limit, it still it still gets incredibly cold. It's it's the, it's the cold that really uh, that was the worst of it, I think. Um, the cold and the damp, uh, it's, it's just incessant. And you, I wake up in the middle of the night to uh, turn on my torch, and you shine it around the inside of the cabin, and the walls just dripping with condensation. Uh, um, so it's a uh, uh, it was the, the, you, you definitely noticed that, and obviously um, uh, when it, when it came time to go to bed, uh, I'd, I'd go to bed fully clothed, you know, fully rigged out, ready to go up on, on deck, 
uh, under under a duvet with a hat on, wearing thermal underclothes and still shivering. You know, um, uh, I, I, I personally found it incredibly cold. Um, Sounds like good fun. <laughs> it doesn't sound like fun, uh, and um, in fact, somebody said to me before I went, you know, uh, make sure you have fun every day. And I said, no, it's not really about fun. You know, it's about the sense of achievement once you've done it. So, so how far south did you actually get? Well, uh, uh, Cape Horn is 56 degrees south, um, and so and I passed eight miles south of Cape Horn, um, uh, and um, uh, and I went. Well, uh, so immediately, immediately beyond Cape Horn, obviously headed up uh, northeast towards the Falkland Islands. So yeah, fifty-six hours out there, which, which was enough for me. <laughs> it's enough for most people. <laughs> so, but you were actually becalmed a couple of times. You know, what was that like? I, I was. Uh, I was. Uh, um, I found three times I was becalmed in the Southern Ocean, and uh, obviously going through the doldrums in the Atlantic, I was becalmed as well. Uh, and on a couple of occasions for about three days, and it's, uh, that that was the most tr- trying, uh, tr- most trying part of the journey. I think, you know, when it's stormy, you can do something about it, uh, and you can you can react or you can. You, uh, um, but when you're just simply, and of course the ocean swell is still there, so, and you have to keep. I always kept some sail up, a mainsail, just to, uh, so that if any wind did come, I'd, I'd be able to capture it. Uh, but the constant flogging of the sails, the boat rocks. Uh, it's it's like a Chinese war torture. It just doesn't stop. And uh, after a couple of days, it really does start to uh, to, to aggravate. But of course, the wind always comes eventually. And, uh, and when it came, what was the worst storm you endured? Well, uh, I had um, uh, I had a, a, some very uh, big um, I had some very big weather in the Southern Ocean. Um, uh, but uh, when, when you see when you see um, videos and film of the big storms in the Southern Ocean, uh, you, you you see the huge waves, you know the, the the multi-story waves that people talk of. And I only saw those on one, on one occasion, and I thought, well, that's what people have been talking about. Uh, uh, but generally, there's always a big swell running, of course, usually. Um, I had a, a, a one um, in the Southern Ocean. I was knocked down, um, and uh, I was down below at the time. Um, yeah, I thought it was the safest place to be in. But was down onto her side, and I could feel her being pushed, uh, caught by breaking away from the side. She's sort of been ground through the water, and I was thinking, please don't go. And eventually she didn't, she popped back up again. And, um, uh, and amazingly, well, no, no damage, thank you, because I didn't go all the way over. Um, uh, but the, um, uh, the, the auto helm, the, the, the wind vane, uh, was still intact, which amazed me. Um, uh, I did have some other storms where I had some problems with the wind vane. It's, the server pendulum at the bottom of the Cape Horn wind vane is attached onto the onto the stock by a, a bungee cord, and that's all that's holding it on. And uh, I'd learned from my trip to the Chathams when uh, that the server pendulum had become dislodged, uh, that I needed to be able to get down low enough outside the back of the transom uh, to to reattach it. And so when I was um, the week before I left Auckland, uh, I made a little folding plywood platform, which I could sling off the back of the stern and, um, and get down low enough uh, to be able to reattach the pendulum and tie it back on again. And um, so uh, th- three times I had to uh, do this, and that, that was very disconcerting, you know, climbing off the back of a stern in a, in a big storm. It's, you know, one minute you're two feet underwater and actually six feet in the air. That was, that was a bit uh, interesting. Uh, the th- and the third time it happened, it was in the, uh, about three o'clock in the morning, so it's pitch black. 
Uh, and the worst part of that actually was the cold because I, so you know, I got stripped down to my boxer shorts, keep my um, sailing jacket on and a pair of gloves. But of course, when you go over the back to actually do the work, you've got to take your gloves off and you've got about five minutes before you can't feel your hands anymore because it's blowing a gale and it's bloody cold. Um, so, uh, but so I, I, I was, that was a learning from my Chatham Islands trip and that, that folding platform here yeah, got me out of trouble three times. And um, the third time it happened, I actually got a, a, I thought about it and I put another lashing around the, the, the stock of the pendulum. And uh, so it didn't happen again, but that was, a, that was interesting. So you, you know, you talk about some of these issues and, and the, the when you were knocked down as well. There are actually times when you were genuinely scared for your safety. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, uh, in the North Atlantic, I capsized, and um, uh, that's that was a, a far more um, traumatic than getting knocked down. But um, uh, the, probably the one time I was most terrified, if I'm honest, was when I was, when I was through went through a huge lightning storm just south of the equator. And uh, normally you, you see them on the horizon or they're fairly close to you or sometimes you just skirt them. But this one, I was right and it was violent and uh, that, that was terrifying because you can't do anything about it. It's just, yeah, it's just absolutely random. And um, I had to go up and put a, uh, put a reef uh, in, the, um, in the main uh, when, when the school went through. And yeah, being outside, you know, soaking wet in a, you know, in a, in a, in a school and being surrounded by lightning, that, that was very uncomfortable, I, did, I didn't enjoy that at all. Did you ever communicate these sorts of things to your family at the time, or are these things that you talked to them about in retrospect? Uh, well, in, in retrospect, yeah, um, uh, I think... Um, you don't so, want to worry them, I'm guessing. No, well, I, I, told my, uh, I told my girlfriend that I capsized in the Atlantic, but to ask her not to, uh, to let anybody else know about it, because I, I, was, I was north of the Azores, and I was really... Uh, I was reasonably close to the um, uh, to, to Britain by inside. I saw no point in worrying anybody about it. Um, but uh, I just wanted her to know, principally because I was concerned that my communications might have got lost because um, the VHF aerial was still intact and um, at the top of the mast. Uh, so my AIS signal uh, was still working, but if they, if they, I didn't know whether it was going to fail or not. So I just wanted her to, to know that everything's okay. Um, but, it, um, yeah, but if the communication stopped, there was no need to worry. So that's the hint I told her, but I, I asked her not to let other people know. So you've sort of talked briefly about uh, your electronics went down, your sat phone, you lost uh, communications through that, but it wasn't the extent of your problems, was there? There was an issue with your chain plates. Um, you know, talk talk to me about that as well. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was pretty uncomfortable too. I I uh, I um, been they've been blowing quite hard, and uh, and I was just running uh, with just a foresail up, a scrap of foresail. Um, the the mainsail was down. And the, the, uh, went through the night like that. And the following morning, uh, I got up. It's time to get the wind had abated, so I thought I'd come and put some of the main up. And uh, I was just walking down the side deck and looked down, and um, uh, uh, the chain plate um, has a on my boat. Um, the inner and the outer shrouds have got um, uh, a stainless steel bracket uh, about ten mil thick, hoops over, and uh, uh, this bracket had, had split. Uh, the um, uh, and I looked down and I thought for you know, for all the uh, tea in China that the, the, the inner state was going to go and so that was a, a rush down below in a, in a great panic and found some spare rigging pulleys and God knows what else and bodged it all up as best I could. Got some dining line there which I, I sort of strapped it all together and then um, uh, from so now that happened about halfway across the Southern Ocean. Um, and from there, uh, I, I was, particularly when I was on a starboard tack and, uh, and the pressure was on the damaged side of the rig, 
I was uh, very careful putting any, any mainsail up at all, so that slowed me down a little bit on the way to the Falkland Islands. Um, but thankfully, when I got to the Falklands, um, uh, I met a guy, um, a guy called Paul Ellis, who's got a company called Martech there. My, my daughter had, uh, had done some research because she'd heard about this, and, um, uh, and Paul was fantastic, you know, he's a, a really good, good guy. And um, he, he managed to find some stainless on the island, uh, get, some, get these uh, plates fabricated and, 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 and repaired, and so then that was it, I was, I was up and running again. But uh, there was a, uh, it, was, it was just a, a wonderful find, yeah, I was very lucky to have my daughter uh, to, to, to put me in touch with him. So given your troubles, were the times when you thought, is she young going to go for Argentina or somewhere along the west coast of South America, or are you actually committed to going to the Falklands? Yeah. Well, uh, I, 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 my, my intention had been simply just to turn up in the Falklands and, uh, uh, and get the boat fixed. And I, I thought no reasonable person would turn me to bugger off. So, um, I, but my daughter, um, uh, and I think my sister might have been involved as well, had been in touch with the uh, Falklands customs uh, to let them know that I was somewhere you know, over there and, and it, um, uh, I was heading their way and there wouldn't be, would there be any problem with me landing there. Uh, um, I would have just preferred to turn up, to be honest, because I thought I'd be able to um, persuade him of the genuine case that I, that I needed help. Um, anyway, so, so the Falkland, their, their first reaction, the Falklands government, was to, to write and send an email back saying, tell them to go to Chile. And um, of course, I, I mean, Chile wouldn't allow it. Covid is in Chile as well. And I, I know that there are mariners who are stuck outside the ports in Chile who aren't allowed to land if they were on a foreign flag vessel. Um, and I thought, if I go to Chile, I, I don't speak the language, I, uh, um, I probably can't get in there anyway. Uh, so, and also, if I'd gone to Chile, uh, I, I, had no, I had no pilot book to tell me, that, uh, obviously I had charts, but I had nowhere, no way of knowing where to go for, to a port for, to, to fix the boat. It was just, a, it was just a, a, not a very good suggestion. So uh, I carried on. And um, in the meantime, Blind, my daughter, had been... Um, in touch with this guy Paul, and Paul, because it's such a small island uh, community in the Falklands, had then um, you know, gone to bat for me uh, with the people there before. So they then uh, they knew I was coming, and when I arrived, uh, because I'd been isolated for two months, they were just so happy I, I just walked straight in, so they worked out very well. Yeah. How long were you there for? Uh, about 10 days. Was it a, a nice way to break it up in a way rather than you know doing it all on one big passage, which was the original plan, wasn't it? Uh, it was, yeah. Uh, I, I'd always wanted to go to the Falklands, um, so I, I, it, uh, but I packed enough um, provisions on the boat to be able to get to the UK direct if I had to. My, my thought really was that if it was too stormy to get into Port Stanley, I would simply carry on. Um, uh, um, as it happened, my, my, when, I, uh, when I arrived there, uh, it was a beautiful day, um, and uh, it was wonderful wildlife. I was surrounded by say whales. Um, Dolphins, sea lions. It was just, yeah, you know, I think it's like a little maritime garden of Eden, and um, uh, and uh, very fortunate as well. Uh, um, not sure if I mentioned the problem with my engine, but um, uh, um, I, the engine had developed an electrical fault, which meant that when you turned the engine off, it killed everything in the boat. Absolutely, everything went dead. Um, and the first time it happened. Um, uh, after about half an hour, uh, I, I, I still don't know why it happened or how it happened, but after about half an hour, the electrics came on of their own accord. There must have been some relay or some timing device in, somewhere in the system. I'm not really good with electrics. Anyway, they came back on again. 
and then uh, and this is a probably a thousand miles away from Auckland and then uh, um, a little while later when I was becalmed I tried the engine again same thing happened but this time I couldn't the engine wouldn't even turn off I had to use the emergency stop on the engine when I did that again the engine or everything on the boat failed and I couldn't run the risk of travelling with no power you know, for lights for communication for even for cooking you know I had an electric solenoid on my gas cooker so uh, so I thought well, I can't risk losing my electric so um, I won't use my engine until I get to the Falkland Islands, and then, um, or, or, uh, and then, um, so I, I sailed from uh, a thousand miles from Auckland down to the Falklands without my engine. And when I got to the, uh, the Falklands, I thought, well, it, it, you know, I'll try turning it on if I'm close enough, and at least I'll be able to um, carry on, get into port, and then if it dies, it doesn't matter. So this is my thinking. And the, so uh, the engine hadn't been started for probably six weeks when I got to the Falklands, and. Um, uh, press the starter, and uh, it's very sluggish to start. You know, uh, if you started a car with a half-charged battery, you know what it sounds like. And then it just caught and chug, 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 and it, it came into life. Uh, and you know, I, I whooped with joy, of course, and uh, motored into the Falklands. And um, and Paul, the guy from Martech, was there, a pretty good bloke, waiting on the dogs and took my lines. And um, uh, and I said, I'm going to try and turn the engine off now. I'm sure it's eggs, I'm sure, of course, I turned the engine off and everything's absolutely fine. So, uh, um, uh, but anyway, that, 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 was, uh, that was also a problem that was resolved when I was down there. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was worthwhile stopping there and, and a, a really interesting place to visit in its own right. So, would you describe your crossing as eventful, given everything that had taken place? Or, you know, you, you actually got away reasonably well? Uh, I, I think I was really incredibly lucky. Uh, um, I, was in, I was very lucky not to go all the way when I was, I was knocked down. Um, uh, on the same day, a, a big breaking wave came over and smashed in my spray. I spent two days restitching it by hand and um, got that uh, fixed up again. Um, uh, lucky to have spotted the chain place. Lucky to uh, um, just um, lucky to have been put in touch with Paul. Yeah, I, um, I was, I was you know, very lucky. I think to have got away with some of the things. Yeah. And you mentioned right at the start that you wanted to get around Cape Horn. That was one of your sort of ambitions as a sailor. Well, tell me about your experience, um, because it wasn't always, um, you know, plain sailing, shall we say? Uh, well, uh, when, I, when I arrived um, just off the Cape, uh, um, I mean, it's, it's an awe-inspiring place. Uh, it, it truly is. Um, uh, unfortunately, when I got there, uh, the wind died completely, and I was... Um, uh, I was uh, basically floating about eight miles south of Cape Horn, and it's a big rock, you know, you can see it from 40 miles away, it's huge, and that's why I, I felt a little bit exposed to be honest, I'm very uncomfortable, I was, I was, bit, uh, it, was so, it was so still, and um, I'll show you some film later, uh, it's, so, uh, it's um, so still that uh, um, I was actually being drifted back, to, I was drifting back towards land, and the, the nightfall was coming, I spent all night um, just trying to keep the boat steered south, you know, with, with what little wind there was, Next to nothing, um, and so the following morning, uh, yeah, uh, the sun came up over Cape Horn, and, well, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was it was a marvelous experience. Um, but it, but it's still quite daunting, you know, because it has such a fearsome reputation. And later on that same day, the wind came up, um, and yeah, came up from the north and uh, northwest, and it really blew. So yeah, I think yeah, so I was lucky that uh, I got through when I did. I did, I think. Yeah. I'm guessing when you were becalmed, you weren't sure if your engine was going to start either as well. Well, no, exactly, yeah. Um, and, uh, I didn't really want to try it until I got to the Falklands because I, I thought it, it, I could only afford it to fail and stop once. 
and that has to be because uh, when I was uh, entering Stanley. Uh, but Paul had very kindly, through communication on my texting device, he'd, uh, he said to message, say, get close enough and I'll come out and give you a tow in. So that was comforting to know that there was somebody there who could, who could do that. But uh, uh, you needed to be fairly close for him to be able to, to pull you through. So you took roughly two months to cross the Southern Ocean, and that was another 82 days to sail up to the, to the UK. You, you sort of touched on it briefly on a couple of aspects of it, but what was that second half of the journey like? Uh, well, I felt uh, uh, it's in some ways that I was uh, a, bit com- well, a little bit complacent. I mean, you, you feel it, uh, you've, got, you've got the worst of it behind you. Um, it, it turned out that I hadn't, as things panned out. But I... I, I I also, you said earlier, were you nervous when you left? Well, I, I was nervous leaving the Falkland Islands because, it's, it, first of all, it's a longer journey. It's, it's uh, yeah, seven uh, and a half thousand miles up to the UK from the Falklands. It's only five and a half to uh, the Falklands from here. But uh, uh, I, I felt as though I'd used up on my luck. And um, so uh, I was slightly trepidatious uh, when, I, when I left Port Stanley. Uh, I, I met a, another uh, a boat down there. Um, called the Santa Maria Australis, with a couple of really good German guys on board. They were running an ex- expedition boat out there. And, but because there was no, uh, no people coming down to Falkland because of COVID, he, uh, Wolf, who was the skipper, was taking opportunities to take his boat up north to, to the Azores. And so we decided that when this, um, a, a storm was, was going through, or not a storm, but heavy weather was going through, we, we decided to leave, uh, leave that uh, and then head off together up towards... Um, uh, towards uh, the Azores, and I, uh, I didn't plan to stop there, but I wanted to pass through them. And uh, yeah, when we left, um, the, uh, the first thing that happens when, when you leave when you leave um, Port Stanley, there's a small uh, there's Stanley Bay, but there's a small um, gap that you pass through called the Narrows. It's about 100 meters wide. Then you're into into a large um, uh, inlet, and then you're out into the open sea. And uh, it, the, the wind had abated, is but it's still about 30 knots when we left. Um, uh, when we left Port Stanley, and he left a little bit in front of me, and um, you know, I, I, I was waiting for my sat phone. I was re- literally rushing down to get my new sat phone when, uh, when we left, so sorted that out, and they rushed out to meet the customs people at the Falklands, and they came, and uh, I jumped on, and I was motoring out through the um, uh, through the uh, Narrows, and my engine died, and uh, I thought, here we go again, so, so uh, um, and it wouldn't start again, and and um, and I couldn't turn around. Yeah. It's coming back into 30 knots through the narrows, uh, uh, which just it's just it would have been uh, too, just with the headwind, but it was just not on. Um, so I, I set about setting up my Cape Horn system uh, so I could have a look at the engine, and that failed as well. It simply wouldn't steer the boat, and, um, uh, and it, it was about two in the afternoon when all this was going on, and. Um, uh, the German boat's up ahead, and he's he's, he's about seventy-five feet long, and and he's being thrown around. You know, his mast was swaying like a, a pendulum, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was quite rough. And uh, it was going towards nightfall, and I thought, well, now I really am buggered. You know, I can't steer the boat. Uh, it's coming up towards night. I haven't got an engine. Um, can't get back into into Stanley. Uh, I'm going to spot a bother here. Uh, then I see, you sort of think about things a bit more rationally and. Uh, I thought, well, why isn't the, why isn't the cell steering working? So open up the um, the stern locker where all the gubbins is down below to, to to make the system work. Ran it on my hand over all the and one of the shackles that holds one of the pulleys that controls it had sheared, 
And uh, so, so the, uh, this pulley, had, uh, it was just doing so that. So to fix that, went down below, got a shackle and fixed that. So then I could steer, but I still had no engine, which was, I mean, I was sailing anyway. Um, uh, so I thought, well, yeah, it's no wonder you're nervous leaving the thing. That's the handy, because that was, that was quite trying. And then uh, about a, uh, five or six days later, uh, when I was a little bit further north, the, the wind just died, I was becalmed. So um, thankfully, I, mean, I managed to fix the, uh, the problem with the engine, it was a, f- a fuel blockage, and um, uh, the primary fuel filter was just uh, it was a bit of a mess. Um, Fix that, and then the engine started. So from there on in, my, my engine was okay, and I was able to uh, motor when it when it got really quiet. So yeah. So yeah. So the journey up the Atlantic started uh, uh, interestingly, and um, and I think uh, I, I expected uh, I expected it to be less because I've, I've been over the North Atlantic twice before, so I know, I know what it can be like. But uh, I, the Southern Ocean has such a reputation that I felt that you know I, I, the worst of it was over. Um, no, but it wasn't. <laughs> Did you get a visit from King Neptune, and did you sort of splash fish guts all over yourself? Uh, yes, uh, I did. Uh, I did enjoy a, a, a big whiskey. Well, I enjoyed a big whiskey most evenings. And um, yeah, in fact, you asked me about my routine earlier. Um, uh, one of uh, um, my girlfriend's friends made a beautiful Christmas cake, huge Christmas cake, and so as, as it got colder every evening at six o'clock when the summer's going down, my routine was. Uh, uh, a decent whiskey and a, a slice of Christmas cake, and then I got, when it got cold, uh, it was a, it was a, a hot toddy and a, and a slice of Christmas cake. Had my last slice of Christmas cake the day before I went around Cape Horn, so it was uh, it was yeah, much appreciated. Yeah. So just uh, maybe just elaborate a little bit more on this capsize that you experienced and uh, the, the latter part of your journey. Yeah. Well, um, I, I was north of the Azores and. Uh, um, maybe about 300 miles north. I, I passed right through the Azores, and I, I, it was a shame I couldn't stop there. I, I, I could have stopped there, but because of um, uh, because of COVID and it being so close to the UK, I didn't want to go to the UK. I didn't want to then have to isolate. So, uh, uh, so even though I, I actually did, I didn't see the islands, although I passed between them, and I picked up Radio Pico on my, on my transistor radio, but uh, it was, it was, the weather wasn't great, so I didn't see them. And I thought, well, now this is the final stretch, you know. It's, it's only you know, seven, ten days sailing from there to the UK. Everything's done. And, uh, I had a text from my sister. Um, she looked after the weather, and my brother-in-law sent me a text to say what the weather was doing. And uh, she said, oh, you got some wind on the way. And so I thought, okay, well, that's, I'm not quite sure what that means. But, and, and so, yeah, and sure enough, um, I mean, it'd been blowing quite strong, about 30, 35 knots for about 36 hours, so the seas were already up. And then it really did blow, probably 55 knots. And so um, I, I went up, uh, as, it, as it was building, I went up to, to douse the mainsail, um, reef it down to, to nothing. And I, I, left, um, I left about a, a square metre of Genoa just to make sure she's pointing downwind. And I, I looked behind me and uh, just these ridge after ridge of mountainous... I was actually mesmerised standing at the mast looking at it. And um, I had to sort of shake myself back into reality and say, but it was... You know, get down below, you stupid idiot, because it's, it's, it's not a wise place to be. And um, I was, I was uh, so I went down below, um, and I was, uh, I was watching my ass, and I was surfing down the waves, so they're incredibly steep, with green waves, you know, um, with white spume down them, and uh, I was surfing down them at 12 and, a half, 12 and a half knots. And I was wedged, I wedged myself into my um, navigation seat by the chart table, and 
uh, um, next minute, you know, there's no warning. You, you, you imagine it when you capsize, this can be a slow roll, but one minute you're the right way up and the next minute you're upside down. And so I landed on my head on the coach roof and um, uh, I think I might have been slightly concussed uh, because um, I don't remember the boat coming back up, um, but, uh, but it did. And um, uh, so, uh, no, I mean, it was absolute bedlam down below, uh, as if you ever capsized, but it's, um, you, you can just imagine that, that everything is just a complete mess, you know, broken glass, uh, food, tools everywhere, charts, passports end up in the fridge, you know, it's just, uh, it's hard to describe the bedlam. Um, but, uh, but so um, I tried to sort that out a little bit, and um, then I, w I went to, um, thankfully I was down below, where, and I went up and um, uh, uh, to see that everything was okay above decks. And uh, the first thing I did was I slipped back the hatch, and I thought it was a bit bright, and I realised that my spray had disappeared, and um, the, the ocean had been, when, as I come back up probably, uh, my spray had just been ripped off and was probably floating to the bottom. Um, uh, some of the stanchions on the side were, were, were bent in, and, um, and but thankfully the mast was still up, and so that was my biggest concern. And the mast, was, uh, so that was a that was a, a lot of luck, you know. Because very often when you go over, you don't get your mast back. So, um, and uh, so uh, I was still uh, I, was, I was also concerned because I had a, I had some spare fuel cans in the stern locker, and um, I went back to try and sort those out, and there was a problem with them, but uh, that's boring story but uh, so when the stern locker was open I was trying to sort it all out uh, I caught out of the corner of my eye a, a, just a wall of white coming towards me and there's uh, another breaking away from the side and the, the boat went down on the side and I just held on and the, the wave was breaking over me and I was standing under a waterfall and uh, unfortunately because the stern locker was open because I've been trying to sort out this, my diesel fuel tanks at the back uh, I shipped a lot of water down below which had to be pumped out um, uh, sort of that out um, and then get through the whole thing, my Cape Horn self-steering system, was, you know, it came up and it was still working. It was, it was a miracle. Yeah, that's why I feel obliged to write to, um, to, to his inventor to say, you know, what a good what a kit it was. Yeah, I couldn't speak highly enough of that. So, so it was a fairly just uneventful, you know, last 70 days, 17 days <laughs> into yeah. the UK then, wasn't it? Yes, it was, well, it was, uh, uh, it's not something I, uh, I recommend, but uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting experience. Yeah, I've never done it before. I hope not again. So you finally get to um, the UK, and the world's in a fairly interesting place, shall we say, with, with COVID. Um, you know, what sort of reception do you get? Um, you know, did you have any issues with border control um, and, and getting into the country? Uh, no, once again, I was, I was very lucky that my sister had been in touch with um, customs in Falmouth, where I landed, and so they were expecting me, and, uh, and she'd explain that I'd been at sea. So uh, when, when they, um, uh, okay, I arrived, um, uh, in Falmouth, it was um, uh, quite a stormy day, a very dark storm clouds and pouring rain. And I, I think the customers weren't that keen on a Saturday evening to come out and see me. Uh, so uh, um, my sister got a, a phone number of, of the on-duty customs guy. Uh, he, he asked me what colour passport I had and, um, and where I'd been and what I was doing and how many people on board. He said, oh, you're fine, you're cleared in. So that was, and that was the extent of it. And um, it was... It was um, uh, I suppose the, the, the UK equivalent of the level four lockdown had just been eased about five days before I arrived, and so um, I was able then to travel around as we would be under level three or level two. So, um, yes, that's fortunate. 
Yeah. What was it like to finally get there after such a long, you know, four or five months at sea, after all that you'd been through, to finally accomplish that, that dream? Well, it, it, it was a little bit surreal, um, as, you, as you might imagine. You know, when, when you've been on your own for a long time and, uh, and then you're back in civilization, it, it's, it's a strange sensation. Uh, but uh, uh, my sister um, and her husband uh, came down and met me, uh, met me on, the, on the dock saw me in, uh, brought some champagne and wine um, and some smoked salmon. So it was, I couldn't have had a better reception really, it was, it was perfect. The big question, uh, did you get there in time for the birthday party? I did not, no, no, I didn't. Uh, no, I, was, uh, I think I was about 15, two, maybe about two weeks late. Uh, but as it happens, had I arrived in time, I couldn't have gone anyway because of COVID. So uh, it was just serendipity really. I, I, I arrived when I could and that seemed to be the right time. So. And was there a belated birthday party? Uh, there, there, there was, uh, but it was a, a fairly quiet affair because, um, yeah, because of uh, obviously the, the COVID situation. But it was, it was a uh, yes, blated, but it, it was good. Now the original plan was that you were going to sail back home again, and this time through the Panama Canal, I believe. What um, what changed? Well, uh, two two things I think. Um, uh, first of all, um, getting through the canal in code we, 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 because of the. The, the restrictions of, um, with COVID. Uh, I think you need four line handlers on the boat to go through the canal. Um, and of course, I, uh, on my own, that would have been picking up uh, backpackers. And traditionally, there are, there are you know a lot of backpackers who want the experience of going through the canal. Who you know who, who would go down there, be almost waiting on the quayside to jump on. And you take them through, you give them some beer and a good meal, and thank them and send them on the way. Uh, but with COVID, of course, that wasn't a, that wasn't possible. And I, I don't even know where the small yachts. Uh, can can go through at the moment, so that that was a that was a factor. Um, now I thought about the route back. I, I don't. I mean, I've, I've crossed the Atlantic a couple of times before. Uh, I didn't need to do that again. And uh, it's a long way from it's a long way from the Panama to to, to New Zealand with just downwind sailing. You know, uh, the trade wind downwind sailing, and it's quite that's quite frustrating sailing. You know, you're, you're always wing on wing, or uh, um, you're sort of rolling around quite a lot. Uh, so I, I thought, well, the journey itself didn't actually appeal to me that much. Uh, it's not something I felt like I needed to do. So um, yeah, for, for those two reasons, I, I decided to fly back. And you sold the boat? I did, yes. Yeah, sold a, um, yeah, it. Yes, uh, yeah, since you've gone and uh, got a new life now in, in, in Europe. Yeah. Was that emotional, you know, after saying goodbye to your, your mate for, who helped you out for so much? Uh, well, uh, uh, yes, uh, yes and no. You know, uh, it was uh, uh, when you're at sea, you love your boat uh, and you promise her everything. But uh, when you're back on land, you've got to pay the mooring fees and uh, you, uh, you take more pra- more pragmatic views sometimes. But no, I, I was I, I was uh, um, uh, I was thrilled with Desalina. She was a lovely boat, and uh, and um, I hope the new owner has a, has a lot of fun. There. So you've had time, I guess, to, to reflect, and you would have spent a couple of weeks in MIQ, and probably had time to reflect on on your journey and what you'd achieved, what you'd experienced, you know. How do you look back on it? Uh, I, I uh, just with a sense of satisfaction, I think, you know. Um, uh, yeah, it's, um, it, I, I, whenever you go to sea, you all see new things, you know. You always, um, you always, uh, it doesn't matter how often you go, um, I'm not hugely experienced by any means, but you, you always see new things, you know. Uh, I, I saw, when, when I was, um, Again, I was north of the Azores, and uh, Elon Musk has just sent off his um, 
is, is um, unbeknown to me, his, his satellites, lower, lower orbit satellites. I didn't know what they were, so I, was, I, I looked into the sky, and this, this, I, at first I thought, what the hell is that? It's, not, it's too bright to be a comet, it's not a shooting star. And behind the main, uh, main light in the sky, the uh, space out like fairy lights were, were following satellites, and so there's a train, and I thought maybe, maybe, the, maybe, maybe the balloon's gone up, you know, I, I don't know what it was. Uh, so you, know, you, you, you all see things like that at sea that you don't see, you know, wonderful sunsets, uh, you see, um, a different marine life. Uh, um, I saw a wonderful marine life when I was at sea that I hadn't seen before. So you, you all see new things. And um, so yeah, that's, that, that's the biggest takeout for me, I think. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, just the new experience of what you, what you haven't had before. Yeah. Is it something you'd do again? I wouldn't do that journey again. No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, that uh, there's some New Zealanders out there who might look at the, you know, the Monday Globe. I was, I was talking to Graham Brown, um, which the Monday Globe was on when I went, uh, but of course they, uh, I, don't, I didn't even see their tail lights. You know, they're, they're, they're over the horizon. But we, we were saying that it's a shame there's no New Zealander uh, um, challenging for the Monday Globe. I mean, New Zealand bats above his weight in sailing and most things, but. Uh, so we need to get some uh, some young gun out there who's, uh, who's keen to give it a go and uh, get some sponsorship and, and and try and make that happen. Well, you've got the experience. Put your name on forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what sort of sailing have you done since? Uh, I've done a bit of uh, a bit of laser sailing, um, uh, but that's all. Yeah, I haven't uh, without without a boat. I had a good friend of mine that's just uh, who we used to cruise together. He's just sold his boat as well. So. Uh, we're now uh, yeah, we're now slightly boatless and, uh, and looking for, for a new way to get out on the water. I guess a lot of people get a little bit twitchy when they've done something big like you have. Have you got any other big adventures in mind? Uh, I've got a couple of things in the back of my head, uh, but um, they're just pipe dreams really at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of ideas. Anything you'd like to share? Oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll drop your postcard when it happens. But uh, yeah. right, is that another pub podcast? Is it? Yeah, yeah, maybe. What, what sort of advice, I guess, would you give to anyone sort of contemplating a journey like the one you did? Uh, I, I think uh, um, uh, be careful about the boat that you pick. You know, um, uh, I, I was very fortunate in, in, in finding Desalina. Um, I'd say if, if, if you're contemplating it, make, make sure before you go on your own, always cross an ocean with somebody who's done it before first, you know, because you learn an awful lot the first time you do it. Um, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have dreamt of doing that journey if I hadn't been off offshore myself before. Um, if, if you're sailing short-handed, I think um, get, make sure you have an AIS. Uh, the, the, um, but apart from that, just do it. You know, that's what, that's what I think. Is there anything that you would change if you did it again? I would. Yes. Yeah. So I, 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 I was very reliant on my um, on my uh, family and friends. I had a friend here in the office actually who was very good in sending me weather forecasts in the Southern Ocean. And um, I, I sort of, I, I took the view before I went that it didn't really matter what the forecast was because whatever happens you just got to put up with it. You know, you're doing six knots or five knots, you can't get out of the way. So it didn't really matter too much what the forecast was. But And so I would, say that I would receive text saying, you know, that we had a system where we would say, you know, in, in six hours, based on your estimated position, this is the forecast, in six hours, 12 hours, 24 and 48 hours, and had a little easy text system to convey this information. But uh, I think I, I would have definitely um, invested in some decent satellite weather forecasting 
um, so you can see where the systems are because the information that you receive by text is very useful, but it doesn't really inform you fully. Uh, so that's that's something I would have done better, I think. Well, I mentioned at the start you received the Cruising Award and the Volvo Yachting Excellence Awards. You know, what was that like to receive? Well, it, it's a bit of a surprise, to be honest. I, um, I was put forth for that by Graham Brown, and uh, yeah, he's, he, he's actually somebody who deserves it far more than I. He's been around the world three times, and, uh, and, very, and he, he gives a lot back to yachting through the, his cat one work, um, and no doubt other things. So I, I felt a, a bit, uh, so I didn't really deserve it, but I was, I was glad to have had it. So uh, yes, uh, thank you to, to New Zealand Yachting and, uh, and, to, and to Graham for putting me forward. Well, certainly a, a fantastic achievement, you know, to, to not only go across the Southern Ocean is something very few people do, but to do it solo was, is quite fantastic. Um, good luck with um, finding that next journey and making it happen, and thank you so much for joining us on Broadreach Radio. No, thank you for your time, thank you for coming in. Pretty lovely to meet you. Regular listeners will know Broadreach Radio typically ends with the story of the worst wipeout ever, but it was missing from this podcast. Don't worry, it will be back for future episodes. Andy just asked for this to be taken out of his. If you're new to the show, I'd encourage you to take some time and look back through the catalogue of previous episodes. And if you're a regular, perhaps there's someone you'd like to hear from. You can send feedback and suggestions to michaelb at yachtingnz.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you for the next one in a fortnight. Take care.